Opinions expressed on ACB Media are those of the content creators and should not be assumed to reflect product endorsements or the views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Every Wednesday night, come listen to The Land of Aru, a show all about the award-winning high fantasy audio series, Carcerum. Join Anthony Corona in listening to an episode of Carcerum with 360-degree sound design, a completely original score, and find yourself in the middle of an adventure filled with monsters, sword fights, and magic. After the episode, listen as Anthony interviews cast and crew members about their careers and the amazing process of Carcerum. That's The Land of Aru every Wednesday night at 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific on ACB Media Stream 3. Presented on ACB Media 3 in association with Shane Salt Productions and Sunday Edition. This is Sunday Edition with Anthony Corona. Every week here on ACB Media 1, that's American Council of the Blind, Media 1, and soon after on all your major podcast catchers. Each week, we'll dive into the news, human interest, and discussions about the issues surrounding all of us in and out of the American Council of the Blind community. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Sunday Edition. Like the man just said, I'm your host, Anthony Corona. I am here as usual or almost always with uh, executive producer behind the scenes guru, Mr. Byron Lee. How you doing, Byron? Hey, good morning. (laughs) And Byron will chime in here and there throughout the call. Uh, Hosting for us is Sheila Young. Hey, Sheila. Hey, Anthony. How are you? Good. And over in Clubhouse, I want to say hi to my Clubhouse folks. So hopefully we get some good participation from you guys as well. Hosting in there is Tom. So if you want to join up as a panelist, uh, let Tom know throughout the conversation and we'll be checking in with you guys later on. Wow, it's been um, a really, really busy season so far, and it's only going to get even busier. Um, First and foremost, I want to remind everybody out there, whether you identify closer to red or closer to blue, a really nice shade of purple or some other shade, there is still time to register to vote if you have not registered yet. One of the easiest ways is to call your local election supervisor and, you know, ask the process, ask for a link, et cetera, et cetera. But no matter how you choose to vote, please go out and vote. It probably has never counted more than it will this year. But um, that's my non-ACB public service announcements. As as I am wont to do throughout the next couple of weeks, I will remind folks that uh, we will have a great holiday auction coming up. Stay tuned for news. Stay tuned for news from Leslie Spoon, who will probably pop back onto Sunday edition the week before the auction to preview some of the fabulous items and to... uh, stir you guys up so you can count all of those uh all of those bills in your wallet and uh see how much you can spend and donate to acb uh some personal sunday edition news um i personally will not be here on the show for the next two weeks uh between mid-year board meeting in schomburg and the actual mid-year board meeting for the florida council of the blind um i will be jet setting (laughs) so to speak so next week a 
fabulous show is planned for you guys. And our hostess with the mostess, Sheila, will be taking the reins, joined by Karen Blackowitz and some other fabulous guests. Sheila, you want to tell them uh, like just a little teaser about what you guys will be talking about? Yeah, I'm, I'm very excited. We're going to introduce the showcase for the special interest affiliates with the Alliance on Aging with Vision Loss. So a special interest affiliate and RSVF, which is the vendors program. And then Karen and I will talk about being presidents of very large state affiliates. So so if you're out there and you know and in, in leadership in a chapter or even statewide leadership, you might get some really, really good ideas from these. And they might they might call in and give us some ideas. (laughs) (laughs) And speaking of RSVA, Artist Basin, and I believe it's Ivy, um, but I'll have more information about that um, coming soon, is doing another one of the small business uh, slash service provider expos. So you can always email Sunday Edition AC at gmail.com for any, you know, for further information, or if there's ever a guest on that you'd like to connect with or have questions for, you can use that email and I will forward whatever through. Um, on the 31st, our executive producer, Byron, and a guest co- a guest host from the past, Andrea DeClotz, auction winner, by the way, is uh, will team up and put a show on on the 31st. So I'm really looking, you know, really looking forward to see what these guest hosts are going to do for and with Sunday edition. Um, one more announcement before we get into the meat and heart of the show. I don't know if anybody on right now has listened to karaoke last night or has joined karaoke um, on Saturday nights, but we have got some amazing talent in the American Council of the Blind. Um, hey, Sheila, you've been you've been singing recently too. <laughs> you give us some good stuff. <laughs> well, tonight at eight p.m. to culminate the um, the Hispanic Heritage Month. Uh, celebration and information that uh, the Hispanic subcommittee led by Gabriel Lopez Cafati has been putting out there, there will be a Spanish language karaoke. Um, I believe that they were asking for full Spanish submissions, but if there is time, they will they'll probably allow for Spanish-inspired songs as well. So look for that link. It's 8 to 9.30 this evening, East Coast time. So look for that link on on your daily, uh, your weekend, excuse me, schedule that Belinda so wonderfully sends out. Um, Byron, Sheila, any other announcements that you think need to go out or that I may have forgotten? I cannot think of anything, no. Mm-hmm. All right. <laughs> so then I am very pleased to welcome back to the show Katie Frederick, Lori Scharf, and Peter Altschul. We're going to be spending the next two hours talking about employment. What I'm hoping, uh, what I'm hoping that the way we will start off with is if you guys will introduce yourself and tell us how you kind of fall into the space of employment. And throughout the throughout the conversation, we'll probably be referencing. Um, you know, external resources or resources within our American Council of the Blind. Um, so, you know, let's keep a, a sharp ear for that. And I will compile a list that can go into the show notes. So let's start off with Katie. Katie, welcome back to Sunday Edition. Greetings. And it's always good to be here. I always enjoy coming back. So thanks for having me today. 
And um, today, you know, I, I say that I, as a person who doesn't like wearing hats, that I wear many hats. Um, and that's true. But today I am here um, with as part of the APH Connect Center. And um, we'll get more into that maybe a little bit later. And also I'm here to share my experiences with employment. And as someone who has been working for 15 plus years um, in, in roles in government and nonprofit um, sector jobs, I've had, I've had quite a wide array and range of jobs. And um, I've really, you know, learned to appreciate the value of networking and we can get into more of that later, but um, that's just a little bit about me. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Lori, step up and take a mic. Greetings, everybody. I'm here uh, with the American Printing House for the Blind uh, Career Connect, which is where I am doing some contract work right now. And uh, previously, I've done um, placement and uh, benefits counseling with people who are blind or low vision. Since 2012, I'm a certified work incentive practitioner. All right. I know Peter's multitasking, but if you are listening and can unmute and give us an introduction, that'd be great. Yeah, thank you. Can you all hear me? Yep. Good. My name is Peter Altschul from Columbia, Missouri. I am the co-chair of the American Council of the Blind Employment Committee. Uh, my background in the work world is um, managing a variety of different kinds of uh, interdisciplinary grants, um, most of which have had some kind of a diversity slash disability component. And most of the, actually all of the jobs I've had, I've been the only blind person um, either in the organization as a whole or in the, on the work team that I, I worked with. So that I think gives me a sort of unique take on certain issues. So that's sort of who I am. Peter, if you don't mind, uh, the Employment Committee puts out, you know, a lot of good information. You, got, you guys run a lot of great programming programs, especially during conventions. Are there a few that really stand out for you that, that folks should go and search out if they are currently looking for a job? Well, the, the one thing that we have done uh, that's not part of the convention is, is, is podcasts that we're calling Let's Get to Work. And it interviews half an hour, each podcast is a half an hour interview uh, of, of, of a blind person doing what we loosely call non-traditional work for blind, that blind people traditionally don't do, to put it another way. So it's, we don't interview necessarily voc rehab counselors. We interview people, um, I, you know, we've interviewed people who, are, who have run daycare center or daycare out of their home. We've interviewed folks who, um, have done a lot of work in the sort of organizational change or systems change arena. Um, we've interviewed uh, people in all kinds of settings. What somebody who did was a nine one one dispatcher. Um, just just a variety of and, and so we interview there. They're half an hour each. We um, sort of get a sense of who they are, how they um, how they uh, dealt with the complexities that, that their jobs had. Um, what they like about their jobs, what they recommend about their jobs. And um, so, uh, you know, they, they, are, they are posted um, on, was it Pine, Pinecone? Is that what it is? Um, Pinecast, yeah. Thank you, Pinecast. So look for Employment Committee and you'll, you'll find it. Um, that we've done, I would say, probably 10 over the past year, maybe more. Um, 
last year at the ASP convention, we did um, what I think was a really good session on sort of how do you figure out what your elevator pitch is going to be? You know, you're in an elevator or you're, you're, you're trying to tell somebody who you are. How do you craft such a, a pitch, as it were, so folks have a general sense of who you are and don't just view you as that blind guy with a dog, in my case. So um, that's uh, that's um, what we did uh, at, kind of live at the convention. Last year, we also did a session uh, uh, that Lori was part of about how do you, how you deal with SSDI and all that stuff when you're in the workplace. And we did a session on how to work with Indeed. Um, so that's a, a good chunk of what we're doing. And there, I hope that's of some value. There's this is Lori. Their session on on Indeed was done very very well, and I encourage people who may be interested in using Indeed as a job uh, seeking option to really listen to it. There were a lot of good tips, um, and Megan Dausch, who did the presentation, did use Jaws, so you can kind of get to hear what you'll hear on the side of Jaws and that type of stuff. And we will eventually uh, rebroadcast these sessions as uh, as podcasts. Uh, I don't know when, but we will we will eventually get there. So thank you for the opportunity to promote uh, the employment committee, Anthony. Absolutely. So you know, I, I've been running shows that touch on uh, touch on employment here and there over the last uh, almost three years now of doing Sunday Edition. And after the last show that actually Lori was on. Um, I ended up having a couple of personal conversations and I recently also started working. <laughs> Yay. And if anybody wants to clap, I will definitely gladly accept it. Um, and in one of these conversations, we were talking about, you know, the interview process and some of the things, you know, that are different maybe for us who are, you know, low vision or non-sighted than um, for others. Um, especially things like how to be able to read the room and, and you know, be, you, you're not able to see facial expressions, but, you know, what tones are being used. Um, and what really sparked me to want to do this show today is somebody told me that a question that was asked to me in an interview was something that I shouldn't have answered. And I, after thinking about it, I was like, okay, I kind of get it. Um, but the question was, you know, how did you get here? How would you get to work every day? Um, you know, and I took that in the interview as an opportunity to, to highlight, you know, how <laughs> blind people can do, can get to work just like everybody else. Only I, you know, have a little extra tool, mainly my guide dog. Some folks have a cane. Um, so that's, that's kind of why we're doing this show today. I'm wondering if we could start the conversation sort of as a round, a round table, um, and all three of you can give your opinion on, on certain aspects. And let's start with what are some of the, um, what are some of the commonalities that you guys have encountered in barriers, obstacles, you know, for folks in the interview process or seeking, you know, interviews. Katie? Do you want, <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> um, so I think um, for me, you know, I, so I, after college, um, well, actually my, my senior year of college, I was lucky to participate in the workforce recruitment program. And that's a program through the Department of Labor. And it's for people with disabilities to get you kind of into the, into the federal government. And so after immediately after college, I, I um, was, was 
given the opportunity to have an internship, which I gladly accepted. Um, and then when that ended, um, the, the agency did not have any positions for me because I did not have a business degree. I had a liberal arts degree. And so, um, uh, essentially I, after my internship ended, I was, I was unemployed for nine months and, um, that was a really hard time for me, um, emotionally and, and everything I got through it. But, um, to your question about the interview process and just, you know, during that time, I, I participated in numerous interviews and, you know, sometimes I'd walk into a room with my guide dog and, you know, again, it's rather obvious that I have a disability, right? You can't hide a guide dog. Um, but, you know, I'd walk in and I could just tell by the the way that I was received that people were just like, oh, my gosh, she's blind. How, you know, what do we do? How do we handle this? How could she ever do this kind of a job? Um, you know, one thing that I would try to do would be take my technology and kind of show how I could use the computer with JAWS and things like that. But there were definitely some some awkward, <laughs> awkward interviews there where, you know, you just have to go and and try to you know, put your, your best, best foot forward as it were, and, and keep, you know, keep that, that positive attitude. Um, but, you know, I, I definitely can relate to that whole, um, not being able to see, but still sensing the body language of, of the interview, interviewing team, um, aspect of, of things. Um, I think, I think for me, um, you know, it's, it's, um, I think that was that was one of the hardest things was just the, you know, it's it's it was hard to get an interview. And then when I got the interview, um, just having to, you know, kind of fight my way through it. But that's my do answer. you feel do you feel comfortable disclosing with us if you um, dis disclosed your disability before an interview process? So I think I don't believe I did. Um and but but clearly, you know, my resume has a lot of things about, you know, American Council of the Blind on it and, you know, things it's it's obvious that I'm that I'm involved with an organization that that people who are that is um, relates to people who are blind. So, you know, whether or not that I'm actually blind, I, I don't I don't I, I've not disclosed that before. Um, that's just my, you know, personal opinion. I think if, if there were ever a reason I would need to do that for some sort of um Actually, there was there was a job that I applied for through the state where um, I did have to request an accommodation because it was a it was a test, um, a, a uh, an exam based interview, and so I, I did uh, so. I did have to request a reader or something. So. All right, Lori, how about your thoughts so far? So I um, I my very first job. Well, I had two internships associated with college. Um, I did an, a bachelor's in social work and then an advanced standing master's. So I did my master's degree in one year. And both of my internships, um, my first internship, I specifically told them I did not want to work in the field of blindness because I wanted to be able to show on my resume that there's more to me than blindness. Um it also gave me a fabulous way to learn about myself and learn use different skills. I interned um, at Pride for Youth on Long Island, loved it, had a fantastic time. My master's internship, I started out in a partial hospitalization program 
and our client census was really, really low, like three clients and we had like nine staff members. And because I was only there, there what? uh, Yeah, I was there 21 hours. There was another intern who was there 28 hours. So he got to work. I had like one client. And I'm like, and I ran one group and I'm, and I said to my supervisor, like, I'm really not comfortable with this. I'm not getting the amount of experience I need. So I wound up changing internships in December, which was a really, really hard decision. The college kind of wanted me to stick it out and, you know, and I said, no, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm supposed to be working for those 21 hours, not sitting in an office. And she's like, oh, well, you know, you could do schoolwork. No, mm-mm. So I changed over to a drug and alcohol program, which um, had a school and a community-based component to it. So one day a week I was in the schools and two days a week I was in the community um, and got really, really good experience there. My uh, job that I got at Catholic Charities, I um, applied within six months of graduating and these were back in the days, early 2000s of paper resumes. <laughs> and um, I was working with a placement specialist and I never disclose in my cover letter, but like Katie, if you wanted to figure out what I did, you could probably, you know, put two and two together and get four. Um, so at the time, of applying for my job, I was doing a lot of work for ACB of New York, for the Long Island, Long Island Council of the Blind, and I was starting to get involved with ACB National. So those all were listed as experience on my resume. Um, I did have a resume that was skills-based because I did not have a lot of documentable employment. Um, so I... I had somebody contact me and ask me if I could do a presentation. And I said, yeah, sure. And while we were waiting for one of the other presenters to arrive, the person asked me, well, what do you do? And I said, well, um, you know, I have a master's in social work and, you know, looking for a job. And she said, oh, well, we have openings in one of our other departments. And I said, oh, okay. And she came back and she said, well, you know, there's this intake specialist. And I said, you know, oh, I'll, I'll apply for it. And then I went home and I realized that I had already applied at the agency and that the placement specialist I was working with spoke with somebody who told her, and I'm doing air quotes, oh, well, now that we know she's blind, we don't think she could do um, you know, anything dealing with people in crisis and emergency management type of stuff, because this would have been working with families post 9-11. So I was not considered after that point by him. And then, so I had met with this other person and she said to me, you know, apply for this intake position. Well, by the time I got home, there was a message from human resources at the agency scheduling an interview. So it really is all about networking, um, you know, and that came out of my Long Island Council of the Blind um, area. And I was there for 17 years and did an awful lot of stuff. Um, and 
they happened to know that I was blind as a result uh, because I was the presentation I was doing was to a um, a group of senior case managers and, and stuff. So the agency knew that I was blind. I also the agency provided services to people that were, that are blind as as one of their many many programs. And so the person that was going to be interviewing me knew I was blind. But what was kind of funny was when I got there, the receptionist asked me my name and I told her my name. And then she said, oh, what's the dog's name? And I said, Wanda. And then I hear her on the phone saying, oh, Wanda Scharf is here for her interview. (laughs) And I was like, well, you don't correct something like that. I just sat there patiently on the couch waiting for the person to come down. (laughs) That's great. Let's let's put a pin there because I definitely have some questions based upon what you've said so far but let's give peter an opportunity peter um from whatever hat that you want to put on at the moment what have you heard or or personally encountered um as far as you know getting the interview being in the interview and and you know at the point of at that point you are disclosing um you know unless you're a high partial maybe you can get away with it but at no, that point you are disclosing i am i've been blind since birth and uh, my personal choice uh is is if my bias is not to disclose until I actually show up at the interview. Now, that usually doesn't play out because there's usually some accommodation I need, mostly because of inaccessible websites. And one of the things that's, and I've been in the in, in and out of the work uh, workforce for uh, 30, 35 years, something like that, um, starting really in the in the um, uh, mid '80s. And you would think that a lot of the accessibility issues that I experienced in the 80s would not be uh, the case now. And it turns out it's essentially the same problem. You know, the, uh, back then there weren't websites, now there are websites, but some of them, many of them are not fully accessible or not accessible at all. Um, some of the, um, some of the uh, uh, Lori mentioned tests, you know, that you have to take or Katie or somebody did um, uh, that are usually are not accessible. Um, and so um, it, it's been sort of, uh, I don't, uh, depressing is where it comes to mind. It's depressing, maybe too strong a word, but it's sort of annoying, you know, and, and all this time, you, you still have the accessibility issues. They're different, but they amount to the same thing. They create all kinds of havoc. The current job I currently, uh, the current job I have is tutoring University of Missouri student athletes. And the, the the websites that we use to write write our reports and uh, schedule appointments and you know and all that good stuff none of them are accessible none of them absolutely none of them and so you do what you you do the best you can you work around it so I've found ways of working on it so you still you know one of the things I I say to to younger folks when I talk to them is you still need to be a good advocate you know you 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 need to be able to um, say this is what I need and this is why I need it and um, back in the 1990s when I ran my first when I uh, uh, coordinated or managed my first grant um, I what I what I learned working with college students with disabilities is that many of them simply had no idea what accommodations they needed and had no idea how to advocate for them and that was that was a major problem and so we spent quite a bit of time sort of working with the students and, and we're talking about students in, in, in uh, um, you know, top, top flight schools, you know, UCLA, Maryland, uh, Princeton, uh, Penn State, 
you know, these are these were, you know, you know, top, you know, you know, elite top tier, yeah, Georgia Tech, you know, and and it was just it was just a major problem. Um, um, as far as interviews are concerned, um, you know, interviews are interviews. And my basic reaction about visual cues that I'm missing, and and I got this advice from a mentor who I um, used to co-run uh, uh, week-long sessions with. And what he would say to me is, look, I, I can see the visual cues and often I'm confused. I don't know what they mean. And even if I think I know what they mean, they're often wrong. And what I also learned is that often um, audible cues mirror the visual cues. So yeah. shuffling the feet, tapping a pencil, uh, sh- uh, rustling about in their chair, sighing, yawning, laughing. You know, um, now, does that mean I get every visual cue? Of course not. But, you know, I think we all can learn to, um, you know, to, to, you know, to read the room reasonably well, not perfectly, um, but reasonably well, understanding that we're going to miss stuff. Um, so I will stop there at the moment. Um, but I, of course, I could talk for the next two hours, but you, you don't want <laughs> So, you know, as sort of a sum up to this, this piece of it, I, I definitely agree. I think we we don't give ourselves enough credit at how much information we really are picking up and i think part of it is that we don't give ourselves enough credit but also part of it is we're trying so furiously to make sure that what we think we're figuring out is right that we don't settle on it we're we're constantly reassuring ourselves or or re-listening for something else to validate you know, the initial impression, et cetera, et cetera. And one of the, one of the best pieces of advice I was given after I lost my sight and, and started in the interviewing process was just relax. And what, what you think you're feeling, you probably are feeling. And unless you need to react to it immediately, let it settle. And the rest of your, you know, accumulative information will either support or, or, or not support what you think you're feeling. Um, Let's 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 go back to accommodations um, before you have the job, because we'll talk about accommodations once you have the job in a little while. Um, I, another piece of advice that I was given early on was if, if I do encounter something that I'm going to need an accommodation for, find out if I possibly can what the full extent of the accommodation needed will be so that I can present it to them or at least offer the solution to them while asking for the accommodation. What are your thoughts on that? Let's go backwards this time, Peter, uh, Peter, Lori, then Katie. I think that's good advice. If you're really clear at what, what the accommodation is, you know, that it makes it easier for the, for the um, recruiter. What I also think is also important is to be, try to get as much information about the issue involved before you say, here's what I think might work because if you don't understand the full circumstances of the issue, sometimes, you, you, you know, the accommodation won't fully work. So try to get a full, uh, as full a grasp as possible as to the issue involved before you talk about accommodations. Um, so that, that's, that, I guess that's, that's what I would say. The, the challenge that, the bigger challenge that I have is when you're doing, most of the accommodations that I'm talking about has to do with inaccessible websites. Right. You know, and so the problem is that many organizations don't have a clear person to reach out to um yes. to say, hey, I need issues. And 
that is a real problem. Uh, and I don't have a brilliant solution. I mean, what, you know, I mean, what I, what I've been known to do, if it's a job I really am interested in, you know, is, is try to get a phone number and ask to speak to me in resources and then, you know, go from there. But that, you know, for those employers who, who want to be serious about hiring people with disabilities, one of the best things they can do is to assign somebody and put that information on the website. If you need accommodations, do this, whatever that is. And then when, when you do it, that person should actually respond. I know that sounds silly, but many times these people don't respond. And that's even worse. Yeah. So. And Peter, sometimes there are secondary either software providers or, you know, some of those, I, I know it, we all must have at least experienced this once where you're going through the, did you ever steal a pen from work? And what about this scenario? Would you do this or this? And, mm-hmm. and you get through 30, 40, 50 questions and then one doesn't work. Yeah. Something yeah. is yes. inaccessible. Mm-hmm. And at that point, it's not even the company that you're probably trying to or, or organization or whatever, you know, it's not the job that you're trying to get. It's a secondary provider. Um, any any information or idea on what to do in that situation? My, my basic reaction is I don't care who, who, who the actual software designer is. That's not my problem. My problem is to get the accommodations that I need to, to go through the process. Uh, and so um, I'll, t- I'll be very honest. I've gotten to the point now when, when, when I see a, um, a website like that where there are 30 or 40, 50 questions, I am very loath to even try to to fill it out because I'm I'm certain uh, with 95% certainty that something is not going to work at the very end. And um, I'm just, I've just gotten tired of, of um, you know, going through that entire process. And so I will call and say, look, um, I have, I have, got, I have done this far. Um, I, I, in similar circumstances, the site has not been accessible. I don't want to waste my time and I don't waste, I don't want to waste your time. How can we make this work? And most people are pretty pretty accommodating. But again, I don't care who, who designed the software. That's not my problem. That's the problem of the organization. Um, and they have to figure out how to address the issue. You know, it would be nice if the designers would be would would, would take um, disability more seriously. And that's a major issue with with um, uh, with, with with the issue I'm having with my current job. Um, yeah. They're they're just completely useless. But, um, you know, ultimately, it's the responsibility of the employer. Lori? Yeah, I um, I think really when it's prior to the job, it kind of depends on what are you looking for. And, you know, you do need to be reasonable. You can't expect an employer to, say, continually help you to download things that they meet. Like maybe they want a copy of your certification to be uploaded as your resume process. Well, you know, if you can't upload your document, it might be an accessibility issue, but it might not. So we need to be careful if you, you know, you need to kind of parse out what it is that you're looking for, Um, you know, uploading or a document. I would, you know, there are ways around that Um, things like a lot of times now. There are tests that you need to take as part of the mm-hmm. application process and they're timed and you have, you know, 15 minutes to answer 13 questions or something. And, you know, it, those are very, very varied. 
And, you know, I've seen some of those where it's like a matching exercise, which that's totally inaccessible because they want you to click and drag and you don't even know what you're looking at. <laughs> um, you know, whereas some of the other ones are more like, okay, can I get to the edit field? You know, how do I say this succinctly and get my point across? Things like that. Um, you know, and these, in my opinion, are things that need to be incorporated as practice into the rehabilitation process and, yeah. you know, um, to help people understand what the pre-application process is. To touch on your comment, Anthony, about accommodations, a lot in working with young adults, they think that, um, they think that the accommodations that they got in school are things mm. they are entitled to in the workplace. And or also even entitled in the college setting. And that's not the case, um, whether it be an IEP or a 504 plan in school, it doesn't necessarily transfer over to the next setting. Um, you know, I had a client one time tell me, oh, well, you know, I said, okay, you have 10 minutes to work on this. Oh, well, you know, in high school, I had extent double time. No, I'm telling you, you have 10 minutes to work on this. You know, I'm not, you don't get double time here. <laughs> um, so it it's kind of figuring out, you know, what is appropriate. And, and those are the type of things that you wouldn't experience in a work setting either, you know, maybe pre-interview, um, you know, like I said, on a test of some type. Um, civil service tests typically are very accommodating and usually that's done through the state or the municipality that's giving the test. Um, All right. How about you, Katie? So I think um, I'm actually really, really curious to check out this um, Indeed presentation because coincidentally, one of the jobs, this was a while ago, but I, I was looking at jobs on Indeed and one of the jobs that I wanted to apply for had one of those tests where I got to something like question three out of five and couldn't go further. Um, so that was an interesting experience. And at the time, I think I just kind of gave up and said, well, you know, I'm, I'm not going to apply for this job or, or something like that, or I, you know, changed my mind, but you know, I, I do think, I do think that exists. I think, um, you know, for me, my, my passion is always about educating the employer too, about, mm -hmm. you know, I have seen more of a shift in, um, what I'm, what I'm liking is that, you know, certainly, I mean, first to, to Peter's point, we have a lot more work to do on the website and mobile accessibility, um, initiative. And that's why, you know, the, the ACB legislative imperative is so important. So please um, reach out to your Congress people if you haven't done so yet. Um, I'll get off yes. that soapbox. But um, <laughs> I, I do think that, you know, there's there's continuous, continuously more work to do in this space. Um, and I think it starts, you know, at the at the college level, really. But um, I, I think it's it's also, too, about using resources that you may have at your disposal um, so I know at, at one time, um, and I used it um, fairly recently, uh, it's, been, it's been within a year or so that, you know, Ira has a, a job, uh, what is it, job seekers promotion or something, where mm -hmm. if you're working on things like updating your resume or anything job related, um, you get some, some minutes that you can use for that. So um, that is another tool in the toolbox to kind of throw out there as, as you know, again, this um, the workaround that, that Peter talked about. And, you know, I think, I think the reality in this is, is that, yes, we do need to advocate. We do need to ask, we need to, um, 
We need to know what we need. We also, as Lori said, we need to know how to use our technology, right? Because employers aren't going to know how to do this. They're not going to know how to help us. They're not going to know how we do things. And so it is on us as people with disabilities, whether we like it or not, whether it's fair or not, we have to know, you know, we, we are our best advocate. And so we have to go in knowing how we can accomplish that, you know, how, if we see job duties, how can we do those? What accommodations might we need to perform the job functions? Um, you know, yeah. some, some websites do list out, um, the process, the application process. So for example, you know, step one is submitting your resume. Step two is, you know, taking an online test, whatever it might be. That's also helpful. And I encourage that from other employers because that allows applicants, because sometimes again, we don't know, you know, it's hard to ask for an accommodation if you don't know what you might encounter. Right. So um, there, there is that piece too. So I'm, I like, you know, it's, it's good when, when that is listed out on the, on the sites as well, but um yeah, I mean, there's certainly, you know, certainly some some good thing, you know, technology as as open doors and and you know, um, but there's certainly some some room for improvement in this in this job space. So I want to transition slightly. We're we're in the seeking the job phase of this conversation. Um, I want to, you know, move a little bit towards first and foremost, all of the skills that are taught to folks that are sighted that are non-disabled such as you know once you you're going for an interview go back to that job description and pull it apart really figure out what are the responsibilities that you're going to you know that you're going to have to be responsible for so that you can intelligently talk about the position while you're in the conversation you know all of and that's just one example but all of those skills that are taught for finding employment for everyone we have to remember that's the building block. That's the first step. That's, you know, that's everybody. So if we pay less attention to that, because we're worried about a possible accommodation, et cetera, et cetera, we're already giving ourselves a little bit of a, you know, foot behind situation. Um, and then there's etiquette and, and that, you know, we kind of have to remember that we need to have a certain business-like etiquette when we are interviewing, when we are in employment settings and so on. So what are some of the things that, that we need to keep in mind as we're seeking, especially when we're getting ready to go into that interview process? This is Lori. Um, I would say things like, um, you know, if you're somebody that has difficulty following either visually or auditorily um, somebody, you may want to say, you know, this is an unfamiliar environment. May I take your arm? Um, I know somebody who went into a job interview and had a cane out visually, you know, visibly to the person that was interviewing. And the person got walked into a room and he he or she was following the person doing the interview and looking up, you know, to follow the shape that was moving and fell over a coffee table because the person had walked around the coffee table to get to the couch on the other side so that the person being interviewed could be faced over the coffee table. Didn't see the coffee table. The cane missed the coffee table. Um, you know, 
you got to do what's going to make you more comfortable. I mean, he was person was probably nervous and, you know, unfamiliar, um, you know, and that's also a good way to start a conversation. Like, you know, I don't always need assistance in these situations, but you know, it's, it's quicker for both of us to get from point A to point B, you know, if you let the person know if you're following them and you can auditorily follow somebody, let them know to keep talking to you. Um, you know, think of things like, okay, if I'm walking down a really long hall and there's offices on both sides and people may be talking and having conversations, am I going to be distracted by that and have difficulty following this person? These are little things to think of that could help you be more relaxed and think them through beforehand, have a little script of to what you're going to say. Great. That's a great tip. Anthony, this is Katie. Um, I think one thing that I would suggest is, you know, again, having a practice or a mock interview yes. um, with someone. So if you're maybe unsure or feeling really ner nervous or just don't quite know how to have a conversation or how to, how to ask or advocate or, you know, something, you know, I would encourage you to have, have that kind of converse, you know, discussion with with a VR counselor, with, you know, with a mentor, with, you know, a, a family member or a friend that you, that you trust. Um, because again, the more, the more you practice, the better you'll become and the better, the more confident you'll sound as well. So um, I think that's also an option too. Um, and I think, you know, there is, yes, you know, you do want to, you know, be, be professional, but also be, you know, be, be firm and, and don't, you know, don't be afraid to say, yes, you know, I know that my guide dog is, is pretty, if you're using a dog, you know, I know my dog is beautiful, but please, you know, I need him or her to focus on, mm -hmm. on the commands that I'm giving. So please, you know, please don't pet the dog. Um, I think that's, that's completely appropriate. And, and totally. you're, you know, you're, you're professional about it and maybe, you know, adding a smile in there or something, but, but letting them know, you know, Hey, my, my dog, or, you know, please don't grab, I, I've recently uh, lost my guide dog. And so I've been traveling with a cane and the, <laughs> the people that grab my cane, oh, mm, I just yeah. kind of lose my mind. Don't grab someone's cane. Right. So anyway, I had to get off, get that off my chest. Um, but no, I mean, those, those are a couple of, of suggestions, you know, that, that come to mind for me in terms of, of that interview process, because again, I think it's, it's a nerve wracking situation, whether or not you have a disability, right? I don't know of anyone that walks into an interview and was like, I've got this, like, let's go, you know, I mean, I think we're all <laughs> right, you know, I think yeah. we're all nervous. And I think some things I've read online, you know, the interview, the company, they're, you know, they're a little bit it, it is a two-way street, right? I mean, they're, you know, they're meeting someone new. They're um, learning more about you. So it's, you know, there is that room for um, for discussion and, and things. So I think that's that's a little bit of, of my thoughts on this topic. So and, let, and me, if, let me, uh, um, I'm sorry, go ahead, Lori. I was just going to say, just to add to what Katie said, I really liked your point about the mock interviews. That's so important. Yeah. And it's also important to have people help you come up with some language that you're comfortable and and feels 
safe and positive and you maybe you can work mm-hmm. on your intonation and yes. things like that um yes you know if if you're interviewing for a job and part of the job is you know dealing with numbers but you know you may not like math you don't want to sound like this um you know and somebody <laughs> that's close to you a vr counselor even a parent a friend mm-hmm. you know somebody that has good experience and can give you um, supportive information on those type of things. I think it's important. We don't always realize how we sound. To that point, Lori, and then and then we'll let we'll listen to Peter. To that point, I I used to um, do mock interviews for an LGBTQ center in, in Manhattan. Um, you know, and we'd we'd write resumes, etc. And we did a mock interview, and I told the 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 group that they were interviewing for an accountant position. <laughs> and um you know then we turned it over to them interviewing each other mm-hmm. um you know to kind of get both sides perspective and and I wasn't concerned about what questions should be asked or shouldn't be asked or you know or allowed to be that was another thing we touch on much later on and right. in one I, I was sitting there in one of the interviews that were happening the the girl said you know who was interviewing what was your favorite what was your best and worst subject in school and the guy popped up immediately. I hated math. <laughs> <laughs> Jim was my favorite, bro. I hated math. Right. Like, like, okay, you know, oh, dear. you just you just lost, you know, you just lost the opportunity right. to yes. <laughs> right there in the first sentence. But mm-hmm. a, right, Peter, a way to turn that around would be, you know, I really had issues with math, but I've done xyz mm-hmm. to better yes. myself yes yeah. you know? exactly yep well as, as a practical matter if if you uh if if, if you hate math you're not going to adhere for your accounting position you know i understand you know that, that you know, anthony was was you know just wanted to practice anything skills and, and, and show the account position but you know so i want to say a couple of things um about job descriptions first of all Yes, we, we should look at job descriptions and then we should ignore them. And the reason we should at least pretend to ignore them is often job descriptions have nothing to do with the, with, with the actual job responsibilities are. And the way I, I find this out is usually before they start asking questions, they describe the basic functions of a job. Mm-hmm. And what I find fascinating is, and I've written job descriptions. And so what I find really fascinating is how that description that they're describing the job has nothing to do with what you just read five minutes ago before you, you know before you left for the interview. So just be aware that job descriptions are have some value, but but not a particular value. What I found really valuable about interviewing is researching the organization, uh, trying to research yes. the uh, the um, the department that you're interviewing for. Um, um, the, the other thing with about interviews. Um, interviews, in my opinion, are give, gives you the chance to tell good stories. You know, they ask you think of you know, talk about a time when you did X and what what were the results, and so you really want to tell a good story. Well, I was doing this, and you know, this was the problem, and this is what I did to solve it, and I worked with this person and that person, and we, you know, over a beer, we did this, and then here here's what the solution was. Telling good stories really makes a difference. Rather than just you know talking um, you know talking facts, you, you want to engage you know the the feelings as well. Um, 
in, in, in these stories. And, and that's really what I found really useful in practicing, answering those stock questions with stories and having two or three different stories, um, if, if possible, that you can choose, choose from depending on the circumstances. Um, but the, the final the thing I do want to say, and then I'm happy to, to um, is that the other really important part of the interview that it, it isn't taken seriously enough in my experience is the time when they say, okay, we, we've asked you uh, our questions. What questions do you have for us? Uh-huh. That really is important. And that's when your research comes into play. Um, one of the questions I almost always ask is, Talk about your department. What what are your successes? What are your challenges? What are you working on now? And what I found fascinating about that question is how few departments can talk about their strengths. Yep. Um, and uh, that's it. That's a that's a red flag for me. If you can't talk intelligently about what you do well, that's probably not going to be a good place for for your average new person. Um, and um, one other thing, and then I'll be quiet. What I've learned, um, at least for the moment, what I've learned is if I can't find a way to neatly uh, integrate my disability in one of their one of their questions, um, I'm not going to get the job. It's what I call a disability test. So if the opportunity doesn't arise and it's sort of hard, sometimes you miss the opportunity as the interviewee and sometimes you force it as the interviewee. But sometimes the inter- you know if if you if you can't find the opportunity, um, you're not going to get the job. It's just as simple as that. And um, you know those jobs that I've gotten, the issue came up naturally. We talked about it with some degree of intelligence. Um, and um, so I, I said, I think I've said a lot. So I will shut up. Yeah, you touched on two things that are that were actually topic questions that I was you know get, get building towards. Um, I want to go back to the open-ended, you know, it's our turn questions. Um, and I think that that is, that's your, I think that's one of the key make or break moments in the interview, whether it's going to be a success or not. So many people say, no, I think we've covered everything. And I truly believe, don't make up a question like, oh, hey, where's the bathroom? Or um, I, I do think a good question, something like, you know, um, what have been your experiences with disabled employees up to this point or something to that effect? Is it, if you don't have anything else and the disability really didn't factor into the conversation very much, that's a great question to, to lead off with. But, I, you know, closing out and not asking them anything back, I, I think is a mistake that a lot of people make, period. Not, not blind, low vision, just across the board. Katie, Lori, any any thoughts there? Yes, this is Katie. I have done some interviewing myself. I've had people, um, you know, I've been on the other side of the table, so to speak, as well. And and yes, it is also kind of, um, you know, as as the person interviewing, you know, we want you to ask questions because, again, that's that's how you know. Again, we're getting to know you, but you're also getting to know to know us. Those those you know working. So I really like. Um, Peter's question about the challenges and opportunities and things. I think that's a great, um, a great question to ask, you know, getting to know more about the department. I, I, um, that might've helped yeah. me in some of my other jobs <laughs> know that maybe that's not going to be a great fit for me. Um, but I, I do think it really is key to have 
you know, to have a, a question in that space or, you know, put, put something there, because again, it gives, it gives, you know, them a chance to talk more about, about the company to you or, or the work, you know, that you, that you could be doing and things like that. So I just, I think it's, it's important to do that in addition to the other, you know, interview, interview follow-up things that I'm sure we'll get to next, you know, the, the post interview yeah. Appropriateness to, of thank yous and things like that. So. To to piggyback on that, you know, I've I often get questions in this space because people know that I did a lot of hiring and unfortunately some performance improvement needed slash you know terminations. Um, and and honestly, if you know, for the Associated Press at least, our interviews were forty five minutes. So if you've had you know forty at that point, a forty minute conversation, and and you don't have a question for me. I'm not going to say that I ruled that person out immediately every single time, but if we've had a 40 minute conversation, and you don't have a single question. I, I, I'm thinking to myself, you know, this, this one might not be as much of a go-getter mm -hmm. as that one. Um, right. This one might need a lot of, you know, tasking and follow up. And, you know, I want to hire somebody who's ready to do the job, who doesn't, isn't going to need me to watch over them or prod them. Um, and these are things that employers think about. How about you, Lori? Yeah, I um, I agree with what um, has already been said. In addition, I think it's also when they say, you know, like what what else, you know, what other questions do you have? That type of thing. Anything that you you may have thought of after you answered a question previously. Um, yes. You know, kind of mm -hmm. say like, you know, afterwards I had the chance to think of this. That shows that you're willing to go back and correct something you've done. Um, <clears throat> also, um, you know, be if you disclose your disability, have solutions to how things can be done. You know, don't go in there and say, you know, Jaws costs a thousand bucks. <laughs> it's not your job to talk about that you know the in an interview um it, it, it's more about sh telling them about yourself and making sure they understand who you are what you have to offer um also nowadays it used to be they only wanted to hear about your professional experience nowadays a lot of places including the federal government want to hear about community involvement uh-huh um, career, you know, mentoring that you do, things like that. It's very, very important. It shows that you're a rounded person. This is why I have great smart yes. people on as panelists, because you keep leading us into questions I'm going to ask. So another question is... Don't you know I stole your notes? <laughs> <laughs> How much of a balance should we, should we have in interviewing, in interviews, between what the actual job skill set is asking for and... I did this in college. I do this with my church. Um, you know, what are you, what are your kind of feelings on leveling out everything being professional versus finding ways to take your personal passions, likes, things you do every day and relating them to, you know, especially Peter, you know, you spoke about before, a lot of the questions come in the form of if you had a situation that was challenging or if you had a, a success, what, you know, what was it about it that blah, 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 blah. So I, I think, you know, when I was an interviewer, 
I enjoyed hearing not only in my job when I did this and then the next question. Yeah, when I did this at the job that, that you know, folks integrate, that's a great word, folks integrate a little bit of every area of their life into the interview. Mm-hmm. And let's go with Katie first. Um, sure. So I think what I have tried to do for, for my experiences is whichever is, is relatable, right? So, so depending on the question, you know, tell us a time about a challenge or, or, you know, depending on the question that's being asked is kind of how I frame my answer in terms of, okay, do I want to address, you know, do I want to share a situation that was more of a volunteer capacity and how I handled that or something with a previous, previous job? Um, and I think it, for me personally, it really does depend on the on the question and the scenario that I that I want to share, or the story that I want to tell. I think that both are equally relevant, but again, it's how you relate it, right? And and even on a resume, it's how you, you know, when you add that volunteer experience, how how is that professionally related, right? So, you know, if if you're involved with your local ACB chapter, um, you know, attending meetings while great, you know, that may not be experience worth, you know, that you, that you may want to include right. on a resume. But if you're, if you're, you know, chapter secretary or, you know, yes. social, social uh, director, fundraising, or, you know, or right. Any of those, conversion. you know, yes, yeah. you know, all of those are what I would call transferable skills and relatable skills. And so you can then, you know, po- put those on the resume and, and bring those up in a job. Well, you know, when I was planning the conference and the week before the caterer dropped out, we had to do, you know, <laughs> we had to go to plan B and, or whatever. Um, that, that's how I've, I've handled it really, you know, really combining, because again, I've had a great amount of professional experience. I've also had some amazing volunteer opportunities with an ACB. And I, those, those are not to be, you know, those, those are high level positions that, that, you know, that we hold in the organization. And so don't discount those. Don't discount your volunteer experience at all. Um, Just keep it as relatable as you can to the job. Loria, Peter, before I go to another question. Yeah, I totally agree. It's, it's kind of funny that I threw out there convention planning because recently on an interview, um, I mentioned, you know, having to like inform people that at the ACBNY state convention was canceled because of uh, Superstorm Sandy. And, you know, having to figure out a way to say, like, look, you know, like, we don't know what's going on. The hotel is an emergency site. And, you know, we'll get back to you in a week with an update. And, you know, you had to be able to say it politely, but also get back to them within that week and have a plan. Yeah. Um, that was a tough one. <laughs> Good story. Good story. Can you hear me? Yes. Yes. Okay, cool. So uh, my groceries just arrived. I talked about uh, multitasking. So (laughs) what what, what can I tell you? So um, I want to just remind us all um, that most people uh, have never heard of the American Council of the Blind. So about my American Council of the Blind experience, I'll say I work for an, uh, an organization that advocates for blind folks, and while doing that, this happened, or I organized this, or I did that. Yes. Um, yes. Yes. Uh, yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and don't it, use it the acronym obvious. exclusively. No, yeah. exactly. No, no. Yeah. Definitely I, not. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I say that because I've talked to so many people who, you know, talk about their ACB stuff uh, and they say, oh, I, I talked to my employer about ACB. And, and I said, well, what was the reaction? Well, they seemed to not get the point. I said, well, maybe because I never heard of ACB before, you know, and I know that sounds really silly. But it's true, though. It's true for anything. It's so true. Whatever, whatever. I mean, even if even if your church has a, I don't know, a rosary society or something like that. Right. You know, depending on what religion you are, will depend on the task of that rosary society. So explain what it is you don't even necessarily have to name it just explain what you did yes they don't care about the name. i've not i've not said a name um because it just whether it or not i easier. choose to or yeah. not yeah right sometimes i'll just say well i was i was helping coordinate a conference and xyz or mm-hmm. i you know did this during a meeting and this was the result yeah and, and so and, i want to change part, and, okay. and part of the issue, sorry I, I do want to say this because this gets controversial and i want to um discuss it I am really reluctant to talk about my experiences working in disability work, especially blind work uh, during interviews. And the reason is because um, my impression with many employers is they, they say things like their, their thoughts are, um, oh, well, he can do that for blind people, but that doesn't transfer to, to sighted people. And so uh, that may be unfair to employers, but I've had so many experiences where people they just don't, they seem to downgrade the, mm-hmm. the, the work that we do, um, you know, for, for organizations serving blind people. Now, I'm in a different place than maybe some folks because I'm, I'm working, you know, in totally non-disability related stuff. So it may be different, but it, I, it is one of those sort of awkward moments that I sort of struggle with because I'm proud of the work I do for ACB. I'm proud of ACB, but I, I don't quite know sometimes how to talk to employers about it without them pigeonholing me, oh, well, that, that's a blind thing um, that doesn't transfer to the sighted. But well, I think that's, that's that's also what Katie was just saying was, yes. you right. know, you make it more it's generic. how you sell it. You make so it you, more generic. That's right. exactly right. right. Yes. Sell it. Yeah. Yep. You feed it's, it you know, to them in something that's palatable to them. Right. right. I think that's I right. Mean, yeah. So I just want us to sort of think about that because, yes. um, you know, and that's why we do that. Right. So I have two more questions in this in in this pre getting the job, um, you know, section of the conversation. And and I'm realizing as the time. uh, So this is a not one of those two questions. Would the three of you be willing to come back a Sunday in November and do the once we've got the job conversation and just do the second hour of the show? We're already in it. Continuing this part of the conversation. Uh, I would I'd be happy to do it. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So I'm going to ask the hard one, and it's not necessarily uh, about the reasons why. Although I guess at some point you might kind of have to go into it. But what a you know? How do you suggest handling? You haven't had much work experience. Now it's easier when you're coming out of college, but you know, for mm-hmm. those who have been in the world for a while or or a long while and haven't had much or any work experience, how how do you suggest handling that? I would suggest a skill, uh, this is Lori, I would suggest a skills-based resume and focus on your positive skills that you have. Um, It's also a good time to, it's one of the few times I really like people to have um, a, um, 
work experience through rehab because then it puts something on your resume. Um, and it's also a great way to kind of get people to volunteer sometimes and really work outside of their comfort zone. Katie? I think, I think. Sorry, go yes. ahead, Katie. Go ahead, Katie. Um, no, I, I think um, for me, you know, again, it goes back to some of the, some of the, you know, the volunteer work that you've, that you've done, again, that counts for things. So, you know, if those of you out there are um, looking for a job and, and, you know, I know that's, that's also a full-time job in itself. <laughs> um, but again, just, you know, encouraging people to get out and about and, and find ways that they can help in the community. Um, because again, those, those skills will, will transfer. Um, I think, you know, Lori's idea of the, um, the resume, you know, the skills resume is a good idea. Also looking at um, some options for online, um, you know, learning or mm -hmm. courses you can take online, again, to enhance that resume to show, you know, especially um, there's a really good learning program called Coursera. Um, and I've taken several courses through that and it's really accessible, actually. Um, and I'm actually, I say that because I'm cynical and pleasantly, pleasantly surprised, right? When, when something <laughs> is accessible, but, um, but it is, it's a good platform. And there are a lot of good courses on that. Um, LinkedIn learning is another source for some material, um, some courses. So there are a lot of ways to, you know, and there are some really good skills that are in demand right now. A lot of work on you know, things like project management and um, search, you know, search engine optimization kind of things for marketing, um, you know, some tech stuff that you can pick up online. So, um, and, and really too, it's, you know, thinking about what kind of a job do you think you want to do and what, what skills do you have that you can, that you can bring to that, that job and that, in that position. Um, and I think just, just again, networking, we haven't really talked a lot about it um, yeah, yeah. thus far, but it's so important. Yeah. And, you know, I really didn't, I didn't learn of its value until, um, essentially, but it's, it's, you know, looking back, it's helped me get every single job I've had. Um, my, my first yeah. job, again, that internship that I had, those nine months of unemployment, I received a, a call one day from someone asking if I wanted to work at another agency on that same base, because they had heard from my supervisor at my internship that I, you know, that I was a good worker. And so they were looking for people to come work. That's how I got started in the federal government. Um, you know, it was through, through networking. And then um, as, as my career progressed and I, I met more people and, you know, my, my opportunities expanded. Um, but I really cannot stress that enough. The, and, and again, even going back to, you know, who, who do you know within, within the American Council of the Blind? Who do you know within your church? Who do you know within your, your apartment building uh, association? Just never take that for granted or, or turn those opportunities down um, and always because, always tell people yeah. that you're looking yes 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 so i want to piggyback on that too because i you know it's great to network within the american council of the blind and your church and, mm -hmm. and various other places but you know if if you are seeking a job first off like Lori just said always tell tell anybody you're having that yes. kind of conversation with you're looking and if they yes. don't know someone that, you know, if they, if they don't have something, they might know someone, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And a yes. quick funny story during hurricane Sandy, I, uh, Lori mentioned it earlier. I lived on Staten Island and a mother from 
from the neighborhood it was helping to coordinate there were tents set up with bought water so socks all that kind of stuff and you know fema was there and and it was an out of your mind situation basically and this woman just came in and was like this goes here, this goes there, da, da, da. She got hired by FEMA to be part of a crisis management team just by being there and doing. Um, but yes. as far as networking, yes. you know, sometimes get out of your actual bubble and think about professional, mm-hmm. you know, if, if you have a specific degree and you're looking in a specific field, think about professional associations. Try to find, yes. especially in the Zoom world now, you can get on, you know, anything, calls. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if you're in the psychology field, you want to go to like things like NAMI conferences, you know, you want to sign up and you want to network open-ended, you know, like we do here at the American Council of the Blind. There are plenty of conferences that have open-ended discussions at the, you know, at the end of presentations. You want to get in spaces like that as well. Sometimes you've got to force yourself out of your comfortable networking spaces and, and force yourself to find networking, targeted networking spaces. Yes. Also, I just, and I think, oh, go ahead, Katie. No, I was just going to say that one thing that I learned recently or heard was make, you know, um, I forget the wording, but it's essentially like make yourself feel uncomfortable or, you know, that's, that's how, you know, you're, you're really pushing yourself when it is, you know, if you're just doing what's comfortable, you're not going to grow. Right. And so, mm-hmm. you know, really, really expanding and it's not always easy. I'm, I'm, you know, I don't think any of us are here to say that it's, you know, there it's, it's, it can be challenging, but but the amount of, you know, um, confidence and growth that you'll gain from it, I think, yes. is, is and contacts are just, you know, can just be huge. And again, it may not be you asking a question, like raising your hand in a conference or something on Zoom. It might be putting something in chat or even yeah. just being there, right? But but still, your name is getting out there. You're, you're attending. You're doing things. Um, you know, you can, you can put some of that, you know, if it's, if it's applicable, you know, on a resume or mention it in the job. Oh, I, I, I saw your company at XYZ conference online. I attended and you were there exhibiting or, you know, whatever the case may be. Um, again, anytime you can throw those, those connections together, the better. I'm sorry, Lori. I was so, just, that's okay. I was just going to say that the other place that people can look for ways to kind of step out of their comfort zone is continuing education classes through your local mm-hmm. school district. It's mm. amazing what some places have here here where where I am in Virginia they you can do like welding classes and yeah I'm not saying that people want to necessarily do that but you know if it was it's something you're interested in dabbling in and seeing if it's a career you want to explore or even just a job so you have a Mm -hmm. stepping stone rather than a career it's another possibility Right. Peter, any thoughts before I, I go to the last question for this? Yeah, um, a, a couple of thoughts. First, uh, to address your uh, question, you know, this idea of gaps in work history. Sometimes we sort of think that we, as disabled people, are, are, are unique in that problem. We're not. There are plenty of people, I'm thinking about single parents, for example, who have this problem. Uh-huh. They have kids and they have to, you know, they have to... Um, you know, get out of the workforce for a while to deal with whatever the issue is and then come back in. Um, it, those employers who sort of understand that dynamic are going to be are going to be sensitive to this stuff. And those that aren't aren't. And we're not going to make it with those employers who aren't sensitive to this stuff. We just aren't. And so we have to accept that, I, I think, and move on. I, I, I do want to emphasize the concept of networking and thinking back most of the jobs 
um, not all of them, but most of the jobs had a significant networking component. Uh, and, you know, where I met somebody doing this and they thought about me for that. Um, and so it really, it really does help to, to do the networking is, is, and I'm an introvert. I'm not really fond of networking, but it really does. It really, it really does, does make a difference. The other thing I would say, um, as far as, um, uh, you know, if you've been out of the workforce for all, even if you were not read in your field, read stuff that's yes. relevant to your field, you know, make, make, yes. um, you know, um, you know, I'm always reading stuff about organization behavior and, and diversity inclusion and stuff. Cause that's the work I do. Um, um, and so, you know, I can talk about stuff, um, not only what's current, but also my experiences. And if people see that you're, you're, you're still connected with the field, that, that, that also makes a difference. And you can talk about what you're reading with intelligence and how that might connect with their, with their, with their challenges. Um, that really, I think, has made a difference. So my last question, because I've seen varying opinions and or, you know, platformists, so to speak, on this, if possible in the interview, do you think it's worth mentioning benefits that, you know, employers receive for hiring people out of the disability field, out of the disability space? Peter, <laughs> I'll start with you. I, I have never done that ever, um, in, in part because uh, I think a lot of the jobs I've interviewed for are mid-management positions, and those those kinds of things aren't as applicable. Um, uh, and the other the other thing is, um, I, I often at the, at the time when they were more relevant weren't wasn't comfortable enough uh, talking what they meant. And even if I was, when I did do it, the, the person would say, oh, well, that's not really my area of, of, uh, of an interest. Uh, I'll pass that on to somebody else. Well, okay, fine. But my experience, and, and, I, and I speak with somebody with some human resources experience, is that the level of communication among, organi among organizational uh, silos is incredibly lame. Small. Yeah. yeah. And so yeah. It, 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 for me, it's just not worth it. I mean, if I could tell you how many stories about how I talked to a recruiter and I'd say right before I go into the interview, I just want you to know that I'm totally blind. I'll be showing with my guide dog. And they say, thank you for letting us know. We'll alert the hiring manager. And they almost never alert the hiring manager. Right. And exactly. so, yeah. you know, why, why disclose? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's, yeah. I mean, I'm doing it to try to make it easier for the employer, but if they're not going to make it easier for me, why should I disclose? Yeah. And for me, yeah. I didn't even know that these that that I really didn't know that that was a thing, right? That that there were um, implications, you know, that employers could get benefits or whatever. I think, you know, for me as a, I want to be recognized. You know, yes, I'm blind. That's I can't hide it. It's it's it is you know part of me. I've been blind since birth, but at the same time, I want I want to be, you know, I want to get the job because I'm qualified and because I, I meet the, you know, I, I match what you're looking for. I, yeah. you know, the fact that I'm blind, well, okay, I need, I need to do things a little bit differently, or I might need to, you know, ask, you know, ask for an accommodation, which I'm, I'm entitled, you know, allowed to get within reason. Um, but, you know, I, I think, I think for me, I, I've never felt personally comfortable doing that. Um, because again, I, I don't, if, if I, you know, I, I, I look at it from an employer perspective too, if, if I were an employer, yes. that's not, you know, I mean, again, I'm going to hire you for the work that you can do and the skills that you can bring to the job. Not because, not because I can get a, a bonus. Know, 5%, you know, whatever. Yeah. yeah. Right. So it's, that, that's I, just my opinion. 
it i i agree with peter and katie in addition to that i'm sorry um in addition to that i would say that on the on applications when they ask if you have a disability if you're receiving food stamps or public assistance or anything you know like that there are reasons that large corporations ask those things and that's where you want to be truthful because yes. that's yep. that flags it in their system um mm-hmm. i know for example walmart does that um mm-hmm. And the reason they do it is for the tax credits and those applications, I don't know for sure, but they probably go into a different hiring pile and get looked at differently. So, but that's where you want to be truthful. And, you know, people say, well, why do they need to know if I use food stamps? Well, because they get a tax credit for it because they're Mm -hmm. taking somebody off the food stamp roll, which is federal and state budget and moving them into a better place economically. But it's not your way to say, like, hire me because you get a tax credit. Right. That's not what this hiring is about. Yeah. Hiring is about. And yeah, I do so... think it's Go ahead. Um, I do think it's good, you know, for example, again, the federal government has what they call schedule A hiring, and that is specifically for people with disabilities. And and that, you know, I think I think as as people with disabilities or or whatever, you know, we should take advantage of those opportunities because again, employers are creating them. They they understand that it's harder hard for people with disabilities to find work. Um, you know, we can't, some of us can't go out and, you know, be a barista at Starbucks as much as we might want to and love coffee. Um, that may not be a great, a great fit or, or, you know, wait a table or something where, you know, other people that, that maybe don't have a disability, you know, can, can find some of those jobs a bit more um, easier. So, you know, I think, I think for, you know, for me, I've never had a problem, you know, and again, sometimes on the application, you know, do you have a disability? I've never had a problem disclosing that too, because again, you know, they're, they're, you know, wanting that for their, their records and things like that. And again, I, I do have a disability. So I, you know, again, it's not like I can hide it. So. You know, my personal theory, and and I'm going to digress as I'm known to do, but my personal theory on that is that somebody out there was working with a a job placement specialist or a coach or something and heard, you know, a conversation between the coach and and an employer and said, oh, that's great. And then they used it and got a job. And suddenly now it's, you know, it's being thrown out there like, if the interview isn't going that well, tell them about all the tax benefits they can get. No, take it from someone who's been an interviewer that looks desperate you know hire me i am disabled and if you don't i'm gonna have a problem with you or i'm gonna have a problem with the company it that's not one you really want to throw out there but i'm so glad you all concur and let's listen let's let's hear from some of our audience we're going to take questions from the zoom room and from the clubhouse room so sheila let's start with how many hands do we have all right now you've got three all right tom do we have anybody waiting in clubhouse all right sheila who's up first Paul, we don't have anybody. All right. Well, get those uh, get those requests in Clubhouse. We want to hear from you too. All right, Sheila, who's first? Jane, go ahead and unmute. Yes, there are several things I want to say. Uh, Anthony, to you, the next time somebody says, "Well, how are you going to get to work?" You just get the biggest well, I want that kind of grin on your face. And say the same way because (laughs) I have to, I want to, and you can be as succinct as all that. Um, 
Another thing I really want to go back to is that more than blindness, and I know each of you has alluded to it, we are people. So remember to keep as involved in the human action that's going on in the interview as possible. Um, In addition, I mean, no pressure, y'all, you know. When I walk into a group where I have to assess all the communication stuff going on, somebody might be standing when they meet me. You know that by all those cues that we all use and know. Then they sit down and their chair just squeaks. And I can respond to that. Boy, you sound like you're comfortable now. Do you have the first question for me? And Or a comment like, I understand that there are others here. Could I meet all of you so I know you by name? Those are just important details. And I remember my my brother saying to me, and he was involved with international photographers and fashion all of his career in New York City. Don't forget to wash your blank glasses because I would forget. You know, they feel smooth. You can have a Gucci handbag. You can have whatever. But if your glasses aren't clean, (laughs) that shows up. The one other thing I want to say is about reading communications and silences. Very often they come about in a community, in a community, in a community conversation or an interview. And it may behoove you to say, let's get at this. I'm observing the silence. Anybody uncomfortable with something? Anybody has a question? Maybe you can open that right up big, fat, and wide. So that's that's all I want to say. But all of these comments have been useful. The final thing that comes to my mind is be careful that we don't use filler language like um or you know. And I think I counted 300 you knows today that in uh, that mediated comments, <laughs> I wasn't really counting, but I, I uh, just want to put that out there. So you, what you are as a person, who you are as a person, um, inclusive of your blindness matters. And I'm another one who typically doesn't disclose my disability. I'm not hesitant to, but I don't disclose it until I, I need to. So anyway, I I really appreciated the conversation. This is Lori. If I could just add on an interview, uh, frequently now they will tell you at the beginning of an interview that they're taking notes. Some places actually transcribe your interview answers verbatim. (laughs) So, um, you know, if you're kind of, there I go with my, (laughs) I did it. And then I went, (gasps) um, anyway. So it's um, important to be conscious of how you're speaking, the speed you're speaking, and to allow them to write down things. And it is okay to take, you know, 30 up to about a 30 second pause before Mm -hmm. you answer the question to, to at least get your starting thoughts in place if, if possible, get your whole answer in place. It's okay for a small gap 
so that you're not stumbling over yourself and going back and re-answering or, or readjusting something you said. Mm -hmm. um, all right, Sheila, who's next? Gary. I just want to say what a fantastic call this is, Anthony, and having Katie and everybody here, it's wonderful. I just have a comment and then a question. So for me, I'm 50 years old now, and I have been with my new psych status for five years. And whenever I speak to someone in the healthcare field, they're like, oh, we miss you. We want you back. And I said, well, find me a job. And they're like, we will. And they never call me. Um, I'm still a licensed healthcare provider. And so in order for me to get back into my profession, um, I did speak at the state convention last year. And I stood in front of about 200 uh, respiratory therapist leaders throughout the state of Florida. And they all came up to me and they're like, we wondered what happened to you. And you're, you're wonderful. You just don't have sight. And I said, that's right. The knowledge is still there. Um, but still, no phone calls for hiring me as an educator or risk management or quality assurance or joint commission. Um, so in order for me to get back into the profession and the career that I've done for 30 years, um, I'm going to be having to be an entrepreneur and create my own um, so I know there's others in our community that are in this age where we lost sight suddenly or for certain disease processes where we were in the sighted world and very well employed. Um, I used to make six figures and what I bring home in a month on SSCI is what I used to bring home in a week. Um, so luckily my home's paid for and my cars were paid for and everything like that. And oh, by the way, Anthony, the next time you go and they ask you how you get there, you can say, well, don't worry about that. Just know I don't need a parking space. <laughs> That's a good driver. one too. <laughs> All right. So are we coming towards a question, Terry? <laughs> yeah. So the question is, is, you know, I had asked Cindy um, to post on the ACB website of the definitions of what we do for volunteerism, because one of the things that is so important is not to have that gap. And I believe Katie and, and others have talked about how important it is to share. So if we could have ACB do that. The question is, is we have the gala for audio description. We have all these wonderful awards. Do we have um, an award for, you know, favorite employer and, you know, any kind of awards to, you know, praise and say thank you for taking the time to give us an opportunity to show you of all the fantastic things we can do. And through volunteerism does lead to employment. I, I, can, I can answer the second part of that question with a resounding yes. Volunteerism can most definitely lead to employment. I spoke about one of the mothers in our neighborhood and FEMA. Um, but my position came through networking and volunteering. So those are two examples right there. Uh, the first part of it, Katie, being BOP, um, I don't know if you have that hat handy, but maybe you can toss that on for a minute. Are there any awards that recognize, I think we have one for innovation, but do we have one for like good employers? Um, not that I'm aware of. So I'd be interested on Peter's um, take on this from the, from the employment committee. Um, 
I think it's it's an interesting, um, a really interesting idea that I think we might want to look at um, in the next you know year or so as we look at look at awards and and um, you know I don't know that I know many years ago when I first joined the American Council of the Blind at at some of the conventions the ACB students and things would have job fairs and you know employers would come in for that um, but that might be something you know that we look at revisiting in another year but to, to my knowledge we don't you know. Um, I know we've we've you know recognized things like you know J.P. Morgan Chase with their leadership fellows program, um, but I know that's that's more of a partnership and a program that they've they've you know brought together. But um, yeah, I, I don't think we have have an award per se for that. But I, I have a comment, um, if I may, on on Terry's comment about sure. the professional thing. Um, I think this is where something like LinkedIn could really come in handy. And I know, you know, again, yeah. people may not be comfortable with that, but um, maybe we can do something in a, you know, community call setting, or maybe, maybe the employment committee, Peter could, could look at something like LinkedIn because LinkedIn is really powerful. Um, you know, you, you can make those connections with, with people that you, that you may know and others that others that you may not, and just, um, you know, draw on those connections and say, hey, you know, hey, look, I'm I'm looking or or see what jobs are out there. Um, a lot of employers now are posting their jobs on LinkedIn. Um, and, you know, that's it's just it's it is a, a social media tool in the sense, but it's it's not um, it, it is very much professional, professionally minded in the sense of, you know, you can share articles and like people's posts and things like that, similar to Facebook, but it's not. And so find out about derisive. networking events. It's, right. It's it's more, it's <laughs> yeah. definitely more professionally minded. So I would yeah. encourage, and you can have a free account. Um, I just, I would encourage people to look into LinkedIn um, because again, that's where a lot of opportunities are happening. And, and you can get a lot of networking <laughs> opportunities through LinkedIn. Peter, is that something the employment committee could look at maybe doing a series of, you know, maybe starting out with basics and then um, ways to use LinkedIn, you know, um, not professionally, what's a good word? No, it's, 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 it's a networking tool, uh, you know, um, yeah. uh, and the answer to your question is we certainly could take a look at it. And, and But if we're going to do that, my first question uh, to the community as a whole is we would love to find stories of success of, of blind folks successfully getting jobs using LinkedIn. And the reason I say that is because um, LinkedIn, like all these um, social media programs, can be a real nuisance to, you know, to fill, you know, to, especially LinkedIn, because, you, you know, you have to fill out a profile. And I know it's accessible and I know it's doable, but it takes a lot of work. And so um, if what are the deliverables, is it worth it? Is yeah, what you're exactly. saying. What, what, what's yeah. the cost benefit analysis to use business terms? Yeah. So if, if we're going to do that, I would really like, I mean, if I were going to do something like that, I'd want to get a network of two or three or four uh blind or visually impaired folks who, who used LinkedIn to get a job and, and were successful. Uh, I don't know of anybody. Uh, now, I, I, I am not an expert in these matters, but um, if we, you know, if, if we started with that and we got interest, then we might be able to get people interested in actually doing the, doing the process. Um, that's my sort of reaction to that one. Um, I want to sort of address um, the, the question about awards for employers um, I, we are the employment committee, uh, are working just to start a conversation with uh, Dan Spoon, the president. Um, and one of the things we're talking about is trying to identify employers 
who seem to have some success and interest in hiring blind folks, and then working with them to A, uh, find out what they're looking for, B, connect talented people who might, who might be good fits for the, for the set, set employers. And the other thing that we will probably do is, I mentioned earlier the Let's Get to Work podcast that we've been doing. We would probably interview these employers and sort of get a sense of what they're looking for, um, what they've done in the past, what they're planning to do in the future, you know, who they are as a business, all that kind of stuff, and begin to do those kinds of interviews and, and, and publicize them like crazy. Because um, I think that's just yeah. the kind of thing that we need. Um, yeah. Is, is, you know, and I don't, you know, there, we all know of some of these, of these organizations who are good about hiring blind people. But, you know, getting these folks to, to, to come on and talk and brag a little bit about what they're doing and how they're doing it, I think would be really useful. Um, so we, we are working with Dan on that, and I'm hoping that will happen sooner rather than later. We are also thinking about coordinating a virtual job fair. Um, uh, I am not interested in doing an in-person job fair at ACB conventions for two reasons. One, um, it will it will lower the number of potential uh, candidates because, you know, it costs thousands of dollars to go to conventions, and many folks who need jobs can't afford that. And B, it makes it easier for employers. They're used to doing uh, uh, online, um, you know, Zoom yeah. things. And I think, um, so we, if we, you know, we are trying to sort of figure out if we can do that. If we do do it, we will not do it. We will not do it at a convention. We'll do it virtually. Mm-hmm. I want to make one other comment, and, and forgive me, um, 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 but I want to make one other comment, Anthony, about the comment of uh, Terry, uh, who was just talking. One of the things that, that uh, at least in my experience with the jobs I've gotten, there, there need to be some kinds of desperation of the employers um, for them to think about hiring me as a blind person, not because I'm not qualified, but because hiring a blind person takes them out of their comfort zone. And there needs yeah. to be some kind of desperation to get them out of their comfort zone. And, and so let me, give, let me give you an example. My first job out of, of my, after getting my MSW or my MS from Columbia uh, was running a grant uh, uh, um, Hire, uh, uh, make, improving employment opportunities for college students with disabilities. And this, they needed a, a, a grants manager and they're having all kinds of trouble finding, finding somebody to hire. And um, so all of a sudden I get a phone call from somebody saying, hey, you're going to get a call from this person. Uh, it's, this seems like a really good job for you. I recommended them, uh, you. And um, yeah, so it was a combination of me networking and then being desperate. Um, um, the same thing happened with several other jobs that I had. They, they, they were having trouble finding the right person. They were having trouble. They didn't like the candidates they were seeing for one reason or another. And so when I came along, came along with, with the right skill set, they were more willing to take a chance because they, they were not having trouble going through the normal channels. So I think part of the challenge, um, that advocacy or, or advocacy organizations need to think about is, how can we, if you accept that what I'm saying is true, then how can we make it easier for these employers to come out of their comfort zones without being without them being desperate? And but, see, you know, transitioning um, transitioning your podcast to including conversations with employers, of course, it's going to give them a flood of applications or interest from directly from our community. Right. But hopefully through social media and, and spaces like LinkedIn, we can, you know, promote those conversations so that other employers can see and exactly. hear, yeah, it, you know, exactly success right. stories. Yeah, yeah, I think that's exactly right. 
And so all right, let's, those are the kind of things ahead. that we, we need to do. And so I'm, I'm hoping that we can get Dan in the national office to work with us on this. Uh, you know, so we're hoping we're hoping that will happen. And Anthony, I just have one other comment um, that um, I know we talked about the employer award. ACB National doesn't have one right now, but um, my in Ohio as an affiliate, we we do, and um, we don't always have um, application applicants for it, which is which is sad. But it is something that we offer as part of our state awards, so it might be something to look into at the at the state affiliate level as well um, to really recognize employers in your state or even at your local chapter level and within the community. So just throwing that out there as as I know we have some you know, many affiliate and chapter leaders out there is something to consider at your local level as well before, um, you know, then maybe we can roll it out nationally at the same time um, in that same. And I'm going to mention, yo, go ahead. Sorry. No, that's all. Just, just throwing that out there as, as another, another thing to consider. So. And I'm going to mention that Sunday edition AC at Gmail email address again, um, because if there are employers out there that you all listening know of, send them in. If there are other questions that you can't get to us right now, please send them in. Sheila, who's next? Dan. Dan Hart. Okay. Thank you um, for the presentation today. I've really enjoyed it. Uh, I, a lot of good points have been made. Um, I was going, my initial comment was concerning the benefits. What I've, what I have um, experienced over my career uh, of looking for an employment um, is that talking about benefits doesn't necessarily, isn't a good um, idea in the first interview. If you're, if you're seeking employment and you have the opportunity to go into a second or a third interview, talking about benefits might be a topic of a conversation and usually that's the benefits that the organization the organization you're interviewing for is but at that point in time if there's something that that you know you're getting the job then and you know there's something that can benefit the employer you might mention then but on the first interview that shouldn't be Good part point. of the conversation and Good i just point. wanted to say that i have seen i have a peter's uh podcast uh let's get to work i have um i have a participant uh, participated in one of those as far as listening to it and i think they're good they're good programs and that's all thank I you have. thank you oh and, uh, and also peter i agree with the virtual job fair opposed to uh doing it at the acb convention because you reach out and you touch more people thank you for that too all right. I don't want to forget about our clubhouse folks. Tom, anything going on in there that we want to bring to the main stage? So far, I'm not getting hardly any action at all back here. All right. Um, Sheila, who's next? Terry. All right, Terry. Welcome back. <laughs> Unmute, Terry. To share a great resource for those, and it's been around since 1929. And I am so honored that we have VIP Toastmasters. And it's an excellent thing, and employers do look for that if you have that on your resume. And it helps with leadership skills, speaking skills, and helping you feel comfortable with the positive. So I just wanted to share, it's called VIP Toastmasters. And if anybody wants to reach out to me, I'll be glad to give you that information. You know, we've spoken about social media, um, uh, you know, a little bit throughout this conversation. Do I, any of you want to talk about personal social media and while you're in a job seeking mode? 
<laughs> yes, so definitely things you don't want on your personal social media account, um, you know, especially um, things like photos, you know, really, I, I would encourage you if you do have a personal social media account to go, you know, work with someone that that has um, site and can really, you know, or, or, you know, Ira maybe and 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 look at those photos because, um, you know, employer employers will possibly look at that and you you definitely don't want you know you want to portray a as much of a professional image as you can so um some some people you know you may have may have put some photos up there a while back that you just kind of forget about or don't really realize what is happening in that photo or what might be showing or what could be misconstrued in that picture so that that as well and also you know keep in mind what you're posting for as, you know, a status update or, you know, things, your, you know, your tone, you know, what you're saying, well, yes, it's your account. Um, but again, if you're someone who's always saying, oh, you know, horrible day today, or just awful day, or, you know, always, you know, maybe kind of a negative um, connotation to your feed that that could also influence, um, you know, from an employer perspective as well. So it is, you know, it, it, employers do look at those kind of things and especially now with you know a lot of people online and active on social media sites it is really important just to watch you know watch kind of check yourself and see you know think about is this something you know is this something I would want want to share with a potential employer or is this something I really want going out into the public sphere I would yeah this is this is this is Lori. I would just say that you also should think about things like anything that could be offensive, politically, yes. religious, anything like that. Mm -hmm. yep. um, you know, even if you somebody posts something and you think it's funny and do you really right. want to like this post mm -hmm. so that everybody could see that you liked it? Um, right. Recently, somebody posted something. I thought it was funny. I texted them and said, you know, hey, that was pretty funny, but I didn't like it on their Facebook page because you never mm -hmm. know how somebody else is, you know, who else is looking type of thing. Right. And, you know, it can follow you. You just, you don't yes. know. Yes. And not just photos to what Katie was saying earlier, you know, go back a couple of years and and go mm -hmm. through your updates your statuses your posts um yes. you know if if you were in college and you had a really good time that's great i applaud <laughs> write a memoir and share it with all your friends but all those posts blew off class man on the beach you know right you, you kind of want to get you you, you want to scrub some of that out of there um yeah. and i know that we we are advocators we are strong advocators in in the american council of the blind but take a look at some of your advocacy posts and see if that is something that as an employer from an employer's perspective reading it are they going to think you know something i'm not even going to put any connotation on it but review your advocacy posts as well and and see if some of those you want to scrub away if, if you're in a serious job seeking mode Peter, any thoughts before we take, see if there are any other hands? All right, Peter might be multitasking. He'll pop in when no, he can. I, I'm, I'm sorry. Oh, I wasn't, there um, we go. Yes, I, don't, I don't have much to say about social media. Um, to be very blunt, um, I had medical issues about a year ago, and I've been off um, social media ever since. Um, I found that I'm much more um, 
at peace with the world, not being on social media. And I realized that that is not helpful with my publicity and I may get back on it because of that. But all I can say is at least for the past year, I've been much more um, um, mentally balanced, spiritually balanced, if you will, not doing that. And so that's what I've done. All right. I think, I think it depends on, you know, I think that's great for a, I'm, I'm happy that you're happy, Peter, and that, that well-being space is really important. And I think that's important too, for all of us. Right. I mean, I think, um, but I also think, you know, there are, you know, social, social media can um, impact us in, in some negative ways, but, but again, there are ways to, that it can be a positive influence. So for something oh, like, I absolutely you know, agree with you. I right. Absolutely right. Agree so, so for yeah. Peter, you know, to publicize his work or his, his books or the employment committee's podcast, like that's, that's awesome. And that's, you know, so again, it's, it's my, my point is whether you want to be on it or not, you can use it in good ways to help help you and those around you. So, so while we're saying, you know, be careful about what you post and, and things like that, we, it can also be a, a big, um, oh, let's, uh, you know, can, it can be really helpful. So it can be very, very beneficial. No, I'm, very much, I'm, I'm very much in favor of social media. Uh, it's just for me right now, it's, it's not. Absolutely. Um, it's, no, it's and not, you know, I think everybody should consider mm-hmm. moratoriums, maybe not long term, yes. but you know, I, I instilled a couple of years ago, weekend, social media weekend, free weekends, not every weekend, but where I would specifically say, you know, from Friday at five to Monday at, you know, 7am, I'm not going to look at all. I'm not going to interact. I'm just, and anything that's life, you know, life threatening or whatever, they got my phone number, they can find me. Um, I, I do think sometimes social morat- social media moratoriums is a good respite for the soul, the brain, the heart. Sheila, do we have any hands currently? Or Tom, yeah. anyone in club? Go yes, right. Who's do. Matt, go ahead. Yes, hello. Uh, thanks for taking my uh, my call. A um, uh, few things. On the topic of uh, companies that are um, um, friendly to hiring people with disabilities, um, um, including people who are blind or visually impaired. Um, there's um, the magazine Careers and the Disabled that often spotlights uh, employees and companies that hire them. Um, so that, that might be a source there. Um, I would find companies. Also, if, um, if um, I'm, I'm somewhat of a contrarian, Sometimes um, different things, I, you know, something never, I believe that um, nothing is ever absolute, not for forever. So um, a lot of times I'll Google something. And if, if, uh, if nobody that I know in my circle of uh, friends or family uh, knows something, I'll Google it. And then I just have to figure out how to phrase it. And I'll find, uh, like I could possibly Google best employers for blind or visually impaired people. And um, uh, I can find choices that way. Along those lines, I like to recommend a book. It's called The Two-Hour Job Search. It's not really two hours, but that's what the title is. And it um, tells you how to look for, um, to, to create a list of 40 employers. That's, that's what the author recommends. Um, so you have a wide um, net sort of to uh, pick um, jobs that you want to apply to. Um, and also, um, I like to lead um, 
end my uh, my comments with this. Tim Cook, in a recent interview, he specified four characteristics of uh, employees. Yeah, four characteristics that he wanted to find in employees. Uh, so three C's and an E. So yep. that's curiosity, creativity, collaboration, and expertise. And yep. thank you for for your time. You, I'm I'm really glad you actually brought that up because you have you have to think about this. If Tim Cook said it, just about every employer out there is at least thinking about it. <laughs> so you know that's something to keep in the back of your mind. You want to try to exhibit in your job interviewing process that you are creative. And when they ask those questions, um, I, I meant to mention this earlier. So thank you for bringing me around back to this. You know, stay away from being exclusively I, I, I. You know, I collaborated this way. Um, you know, when 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 my team and I looked at this, you know, find ways. There are definitely moments where you're going to say I, and you should, but try to find moments also where you show that you're a team player or that you can think inside and outside the box. Sheila, how many more hands do we have? Anthony, you have about seven minutes. Do we have any more hands? No, sir. All right. So we did a really great show with Katie and Richard um, months and months and months ago. We just recently did a great show with Mike and Lori on benefits. Um, so I'm not going to ask Katie to go through, you know, all of the resources that are available through APH and Career <laughs> Connect. But I, I would like you to give us an overview. And Lori, after her, if you'd like to give us any um, any resources that we should check out, please. P and Peter as well. So Katie, you're up. All right. So just a few things on our um, APHCareerConnect.org website. We have a host of free resources there. Um, and I'll let Lori talk about some of them here. But we have blogs, um, personal stories. We have our, um, you know, we have things about disclosing the disability um, whether or not to disclose, you know, what it's like getting that that first job and just numerous other stories that are written by people who are blind or, or low vision. And um, just, again, a lot of a lot of free resources on the Career Connect website. And we also have some some programs that we offer um, career conversations and our, our job seekers toolkit. And I'll let Lori talk about those. So, yes, the. Um... Can, the uh, career conversations are podcasts that are an hour long and the first 10 to 15 minutes, the individual spends talking about their job and then we open it up for questions. Um, and we've had some really interesting ones um, coming up on the 20th of October. We, the, uh, Richard will be interviewing um Dina, is Dina um, yep, that's it. That's who it is. Yep. Dina yes, Lambert. Dina Lambert from NASA. From NASA. NASA. Um, and um, so that should be very interesting. Um, and we also will be doing, I think, um, that we, we also are working on coming up with other um, individuals who are interested in being interviewed for the podcast. So if people are interested, you can reach out to me. And the Job Seekers Toolkit 
is a great resource. It's uh, five different sections. It's about um, self-advocacy and career exploration and developing as um, was mentioned before, developing your list of, of resources of employers to talk to, you know, what to put in that information and I don't write a cover letter <laughs> broken into five different sections and they um, they do a really good job at, at focusing on all different aspects. They focus on the interview and um, everything. So it's a it's a nice little program that you can sit down and do at your own pace. Peter, anything you want to throw into this space? Uh, uh, just primarily the, the podcast that we, uh, podcast that, that we uh, talked about before. I would encourage folks to listen to those. I think they're they're pretty well done, and and uh, they're half an hour each. Um, I, I think that's really about it as far as as far as resources is concerned. But I do want to make a comment. Sure. That we haven't um, talked about a lot at all. Um, is the whole issue of artificial intelligence and the job search. Mm-hmm. The reason this becomes mm-hmm. relevant um, is it's it's not here yet, but it's. Uh, um, I was talking to somebody on the employment committee who had a, who, who had to go through um, artificial intelligence based interviews, and it's it's a whole new world out there that um, we are, we are at risk of falling behind if we don't figure out how we can because um, this is coming. You know, it's it's not it's not in your average yeah, job, but it's coming, and it's coming soon. Yeah, yeah. And so I hope that we can figure out as an organization or working with other organizations how we can address that because, you know, let's be honest. You know, as a blind guys, one of the things that these folk, these artificial intelligences um, do is they assess uh, how well do you look in the camera, right? Because that's yeah. supposed to mean eye contact. Mm. Well, we blind folks, some of us don't do that very well. Um, and we, 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 we might get screened out just for that reason. What do we, what do, we do about that? Mm-hmm. I, don't have, I don't have too many answers at this point, but I hope that we're thinking about, the, um, we're thinking about this stuff because it's coming. Um, Lori, Katie, any final? Oh, we got a hand. Let's take that. Oh, so uh, this is Matt again. Um, along those lines about artificial intelligence, uh, I've just recently um, started using Google Assistant, um, and uh, I'm not. Sh- I've, I've asked some questions. I haven't done full Google searches on it or anything, but just like the fully sighted people, um, they use uh, artificial intelligence like Google Assistant or Siri or Alexa to help them do whatever they're doing, work and and their, their uh, casual life as well. So we can do that as well. Um, so, you know, uh, um, artificial intelligence is, is here to help us. Um, and so um, I encourage people to, uh, as much as they're comfortable, learn to, to use AI to help them. Absolutely. I, I strongly agree with that. Um, and it, it's incredibly useful and powerful thing, but I, you know, there's also a negative to this and uh, it might really hurt us if we can't figure out a way of addressing it. 
I've got a, a Sunday edition topic that is that is going on the list. I think we'll be exploring this at some point in the near future. So I want to thank Lori, Katie, and Peter for coming. I want to thank them uh, for <laughs> having said that they'll come back in November so we can continue this conversation. If you want to find some of the shows that we referenced today, you can go to acbmedia.org. Um, under the menu section, you can click podcasts, of course, Sunday edition, um, you know, where Katie and, and Richard were here and, and Lori and Mike were here. You can find those. But um, there is a whole host of past convention programs. Anything ACB Media has done and, and lots of stuff that ACB has done that wasn't specifically ACB Media is on there. It's a great resource. And just to speak to Career Connect, I was one of those people who I've been working since I was 14 years old, lost my son at that point, you know, had said, you know, I, I don't need any tips on how to find a job. I have been, I've been a rock star. Career, Career Connect really did help me focus in some ways. Um, and I learned much more than I thought I would have before going. So, you know, check out all of these resources. Thank you so much for spending two hours of your Sunday with me. Check out Spanish Karaoke this evening at 8 p.m. Sheila, I hope you have a great show next week. Byron, and um, Andrea, the following week, and I will be back the first Sunday in November. Everybody, have a great week. You've been listening to Sunday Edition on ACB Media. Stream One. That's American Council of the Blind Media or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Episodes drop every week at 1 p.m. on Sundays, and you can email us at Sunday Edition AC, all one word, Sunday Edition with the letters AC at gmail.com. Let's brunch again together next Sunday.